to the Craft and Career podcast series, featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries, where we expose our listeners to various approaches to craft and career and consider how the two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and I'm also a longtime fan of this week's guest, J.M. DeMatteis. As a legendary comic book creator, J.M. has written almost all of the major characters in both the DC and Marvel universes, including an epic run on Spider-Man and an Eisner Award-winning take on the Justice League. Actually, quite a few and quite funny takes on the Justice League. He's also an acclaimed author of graphic novels such as Brooklyn Dreams, Moonshadow, Seekers into Mystery, Blood, A Tale, The Last One, and Mercy. His success in comic books has led JM to work in both television through live action and animation and movies, writing screenplays for Warner Brothers, Fox, Disney, and directors such as Carlo Carlet and Chris Columbus. He's also the author of the acclaimed children's fantasy series, Abadazad, and the novel Imaginalis. And his longtime impactful work in animation includes writing for Justice League Unlimited, Batman, The Brave and the Bold, Ben 10, Teen Titans Go, and animated features such as Between Batman vs. Robin, Batman, Bad Blood, and Constantine, City of Demons. His most recent work in, and those in progress include DC's Justice League Infinity, Marvel's Ben Riley Spider-Man, and several new creator-owned projects. DeMatteis also teaches Imagination 101, a workshop exploring the practicalities and metaphysics of writing for comics, graphic novels, and animation. It's an extension of his Creation Point consultation service that offers in-depth guidance for both professionals and aspiring writers. We'll include a link in our show notes so you can check more about that out, but let's go ahead and introduce JM. And welcome, JM. Hey, Derek. Good to see you. Such an honor to have you here. Um, the format of the podcast, as we've been using in the past, uh, we like to start with just kind of defining terms. Um, so one of the things I'd, I'd love to hear more about is when we use a word like craft, what does that what does that make you think of? And when we use a word like career, like um, do they make you think similar things, separate things? Um, very different things. Very, very different, different things. things. So let's start with career. What, what do you okay. think when I say career? I don't even relate to the word career. You know, I, I, when I think of career, I think of like, uh, I'm an accountant and I'm on the subway and I'm going to work, you know, um, as, as a freelancer, I didn't set out to have a career in the classic sense. I just set out to be a creative person in the world. And I stumbled into something that right. turned into a career. You know, it, 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 uh, you know, my, my goals when I was a teenager were like, I'm going to be a writer or a rock and roll star. Very, you know very practical goals. <laughs> and neither of those things, when you think of, when I think about the arts, I don't think that the word, I guess the career, the word career just has a whole other image attached to it. Although what have I had for all these years? I've had a career, a career. <laughs> but so I, I guess it is one, but it's nothing that I kind of like had a map of because, you know, I, I grew up a working class kid in Brooklyn. I did not know many or almost no people that made any kind of living vaguely relating to the arts. Yeah. The only people in my sphere was that my best friend's older brother was like a working musician traveling around and playing like Vegas lounges and stuff. He was a guitar player in a band. Um, so that was like, wow, that was amazing. Yeah. And I think I had an aunt who had a brother who I never met who might have been a sports writer for the Daily News or something. But that was like 
really, really distant. And to me, as a kid who was not into sports at all, sports writer had no resonance whatsoever, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, so I'm just a creative kid who wants to, who knew at a very young age that I wasn't going to have a career in the, in the classical sense. I remember being 14 years old, being on the phone with my friend saying, I am never going to have a real job, nine to five job. I didn't know what I was talking about, but there was some yeah. truth in my soul, you know? Yeah. So, so career in the classic sense, I never understood, but that's what I ended up having. Yeah. And uh, craft was the other one, right? Yeah. So let, let's dive on the craft. We'll start on the craft side then. Um, okay. when, when we think about craft and, and you can give me a better de definition of what you think of when I say craft, but um, what keeps you coming back to that part, the part that doesn't have the big C career attached as the, here's something I can do. And, Maybe in the background, perhaps get paid for. That's that's where the career part comes. Right, from. right, but, right. But when you think of craft, it keeps you passionate about yeah. these things. First, let me say about the getting paid for. When I started out, I didn't even care if anyone paid me. If someone was going to print something I wrote, you know, that was like drop to your knees and thank the gods. Um, craft, craft is a funny thing because what I love about what I do is not the craft. To me, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, craft is plumbing. Craft is you have a bunch of pipe laid out on the table and someone says, you know, you got to put all these pipe together so that we can make the toilet system or the sink <laughs> run or the or just the water to run through the house. Right. And that's a great skill that you need as a, as a creative person, as a writer, you know, to have that craft. And when you do it for X number of years, it's a, it's it's great because you can lean on that. Because But what makes this really work for me is not craft. It's that inexpressible, magical uh, explosion from the unconscious where stories just sort of start gushing out of you and you can't control them and you just have to get them out. That to me is the magic and the beauty of what I do. The craft comes in later. You know, I, I've often said I sometimes I wake up in the morning and my eyes are closed and I'm seeing movies in my head. And I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. What's that? I've never seen that before. It's totally new. And then you run to the computer to try to get that movie down. And you what you really would love to do is just jack the computer into your brain and download the movie. <laughs> right. And, and, you, and, you know, you write it, fill up a bunch of pages with the story and these ideas that are coming from, from the ethers, from some other dimension, from someplace else, because that's really how it feels. And that's really what I believe. And then the craft part, the guy that can put the pipes together is the guy that cleans all that up and gets it just right and, you know, yeah. moves all the words around and puts this piece of pipe here and the other piece of pipe there. Um, and like I said, there's a lot to be said for that because sometimes uh, you're asked to do something and, and maybe that great inspiration isn't there. So you can always lean on your craft. So um, in, in that sense, would you say that craft is almost the discipline part of it? The, the consistency, the getting to the table, the building yeah, structure. It's, 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 it's the building the muscles. It's you go to the gym and you lift those weights every day. And then, you know, you wake up a year later and you've got muscles that you didn't <laughs> know that you could have before. And it's really that it's just from the doing, but the doing comes from the unconscious and that magical eruption there without that, for me, there would be no doing. If it was just about craft, I wouldn't have gone down this path. You know, it's, 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 it's that magical, indefinable, ineffable something that keeps me going. And that's the thing that keeps me going. Literally, I've been doing this for decades because as long as the doors to the unconscious open up and some new story erupts out of there, I'm ready to go. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I often say that it's a very timeless process because once I'm involved with a story, there's no real sense of 
my own identity in terms of who I am today. This could be me when I was 20 years old. This could be me when I'm 80 years old. It doesn't matter. We're in a timeless realm of story. And it keeps you engaged and it keeps you young and it and and it's very magical. <laughs> but but the craft is a good thing, especially I found, you know, when you when you you're getting into writing for TV and things like that, yeah. because I, I most of my TV writing has not been on staff. It's been me as a freelancer. So as a freelancer, I'm hired by some show and they and they've got their season mapped out and they've got uh, ideas for different episodes and they hand me a bunch of pipe and they say we need these elements in this story to to you know for this episode. So then I have to call upon my craft to put all the pieces of pipe together. But the important thing is, if we want to like beat this metaphor into the ground, <laughs> that the waters of inspiration need to flow through those pipes. Because right. if all I've done is given them the pipe back fitted together, I have failed in my job. I have to bring myself to even the, especially the craft job, I have to bring myself and fill those pipes with me, with my own unique perspective to make it something something special plus on a very practical level if i don't do that they'll never hire me again if they because they could hire a hundred people to just put the pipe together it's what you do with that pipe that that matters do you think, I think that, we've killed they've killed that metaphor so we've, we've, we, we've killed it but, but but i am wondering though do you feel that the the water or, or whatever we want to extend that the waters of inspiration the waters of inspiration the font um do do you feel that the practice is somehow building uh, building the respect building the conduit making the channel wider um do you feel that that inspiration as an example would would, would go away by lack of practice or would be diminished or have to be well, back oh, up? if you weren't well yeah but you know even opening the door of the unconscious is practice although i don't think right. of it as craft right. you know you have to tumble to the fact that there's a door there you know sometimes the door just opens on its own early in my career it was sort of like what's that I still very clearly remember, you know, on, on a, a project of mine from years ago called Moonshadow. Best thing at that point, the best thing I'd ever written in my life. And the first two issues just busted out of me. And 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 I'm, I'm two two thirds of the way through the third issue, and I I am blocked. I cannot figure out the end of the story. And I'm, now let me just take a sidebar and say I don't I don't believe that there's such a thing as writer's block. Ninety nine percent of the time, it's just taking a breath and giving your unconscious time and room to do it. But I didn't understand that yet then. So I literally like laid around the house, laid on the floor for two days, you know, flapping like a fish on the sand in agony. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, boop, a vision comes, you know, and that's what it is. It's like a vision from your unconscious. And there was the whole end of the story right there in front of me. And once you tumble to that and go, oh, I just have to give my unconscious time and room, take a breath, it will come and the movie will start playing. Or sometimes I see it, it's almost like, like, bubbles from the unconscious and the bubbles have moving images in them, you know? And sometimes I've seen in a split, literally in a split second, I've seen like a three minute scene play out in a split second and you just write yeah. that down. Um, but you have, but that in a weird way is sort of metaphysical craft. What would you call it? You have to be aware that the unconscious, the door is there and you have to open it. And the more you open it, the more it opens itself. Yeah. You know, once you keep opening it, it will keep opening itself. I like that concept and the way you're talking about it, it opening it. There's not not that there's a passivity to it, but there's just not an aggression to it. Um, no, there, and there's a process of surrender to it. Yeah, because sometimes I'll use words like discipline, right? And and yeah. that might be too hard of a word, right? It might it might be the thing that seizes up, like the discipline. The I got to do this. I got to wake up. I got to right. I got I got to you know work the pipes. Like 
perhaps a, the too strong of a way of looking at the too restrictive of a way actually could create problems. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a process of surrender. You know, it's sort of like in the spiritual life, it's about surrender, you know, surrender to the divine. And in the, in the creative life, it's really about surrendering to the unconscious because that's where all the good stuff is. And, you know, I talk about the unconscious and there's that aspect of it where your own mind is just churning and coming up with these things and then just bring it. But there's also I really feel like there then then you go into the unconscious. There's a doorway from that that leads into realms way beyond your personal identity. And that stuff comes flowing in into the unconscious uh, and then out through your conscious mind. And then you get the guy who's great with the pipes to clean the whole thing up and make sure that all, everything is you know really lined up just right. Yeah, yeah. Delivering appropriate, yeah. delivering the material. Um, so you mentioned you, you've done some TV writing, but not necessarily as often in a TV room, like, you know, writer's room, that sort of thing. Right. Mostly as a freelancer. I've only, I've only, you know, been on staff on one show. Um, so yeah, mostly it's as a freelancer, which is, you know, me uh, and plus weirdly that I've even had this career. It's me as a freelancer being in New York while most of these guys are in LA. Right. So aside from me flying out there periodically, it's just, you know, me at home on the phone with people having story conferences and doing it that way. Well, that's what I was wondering. Could you could you tell us a little bit more about the, the concept of the community of practice, right? Which uh, in, in many artistic disciplines, such an important piece of it. I know that there probably is still a, a sense of community of practice and what that means, how you engage and collaborate. You're working with artists all the time. You're working with you know, producers, yeah. that sort of thing. It's a very strange community because for me, it's a community of people that are all sitting alone in rooms, you know, all over the place. <laughs> right. You know, uh, uh, Keith Giffen is a writer artist that I have co-written dozens and dozens of stories with over the years. And we have written them all for the most part, sitting in separate houses in separate States, you know, right. um, working completely separately. Um, and yet somehow we create this magical chemistry where something really great happens. Um, so a lot of it, when you speak of, you know, when you speak of community, it's like, there's no community. I'm just sitting <laughs> alone here playing with my imaginary friends, but there is a community, right? In the sense of, well, you know, if you talk about comics, there is absolutely a comic book community. And the longer I've worked in the business, the more you realize, you know, I guess it's true in any business, but especially a business that's based so much in passion. In comics, you know, I don't know anybody who got into comics because they wanted to strike it rich. Maybe they did along the way, thank God, but they didn't get into it because of that. They got into it because they loved it and they had to do it, you know? which is really true of any art, whether you're getting into music or right. But, you know, you know, comics is its own little niche and it's filled with passionate, you know, they're like, they're like, I don't know, Star Trek fans or deadheads, you know, it's like yeah. comics, that's the thing. It's the Holy grail. So, so just that alone links you to the other people in the community, your shared love. And, but even, you know, often working with artists, it's, it's also working in isolation. I'll write a script. It goes out. The art comes back. We'll have a discussion about the art, but it's not like we're on the phone all the time talking about it. You know, it's especially say you're working on a monthly book for Marvel and DC. It's just like I have to write the script because the, the penciler has to get it because there's an inker that has to get it. And there's a there's a letterer and a colorist and all this. There's this whole food chain. So when you're lucky enough to really uh, build a personal relationship with your artist and also with your editor, who's a really important part of it that makes it uh, that much better. And it also just for the person sitting alone in their office, it makes it less isolated. I miss the days when your editor would actually call you up on the phone every day, sometimes three times a day with a question. Yeah. Now it's all email. You know, I right. can work with people sometimes for years and never hear their voice or see their faces. 
Now, whenever an editor, if they pick up the phone and call me, you know, I want to get on my knees and thank them personally, because it's like, oh, what a nice thing. We're actually going to talk for a while and get to know each other, you know, and that's the aspect of the community that I miss. Uh, You know, and again, in comics, it's also just the fact that then we gather at these conventions. So it's a place to gather and and talk about craft and complain about people and do all the things that you do in any community, but it's a community of creative people that don't get to see each other much because we're all, and I think personality wise tend to be hermit-like because that allows us to do what we do. And then in, in, in TV, it's, it's what's different for me is uh, that it breaks open my world in a different way also. Um, I've done a lot of work for Warner Brothers Animation, uh, you know, working with brilliant guys like Stan Berkowitz and Bruce Tim and Jim Krieg and Alan Burnett. And, and so whether it's on one of the shows or one of the animated movies, you know, the first step in the process is always just getting on the phone, sometimes with two or three of them, and just talking story, sometimes for hours. You know, and I'm a writer, nothing makes me happier and getting on the phone with really smart, creative people. Because these are not the kind of producers who are just uh, producers in name only. Most of these guys are really gifted writers as well. So that we, uh, the talking with them is a, is a genuine pleasure. You know, so that for me, the, the, the collaboration, the sense of working with these different people. I always say that when I move from comics to, to TV, I take off this sort of, uh, this is my personal vision hat. Because <laughs> and, and you know even in comics working on on the 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 iconic characters there's so much freedom to tell stories your own way and leave your personal stamp when you're working in TV it's so much more collaborative so I take off that hat and I put on my I'm part of the gang collaborator hat and it's really fun for me because it opens up different doors in my brain. That's great. And what's interesting, we started out, we shied away from the idea of career, like big C career, but you've, you've given us already some, some, some pretty sharp commentary on what a career looks like within comic books, what it looks like within, within, you know, uh, television as well. Um, maybe we could, we could tuck more into that direction. Do you remember what, what those first few steps, kind of the defining steps that got you into Let's say at, at, whether it was comic books or what surrounded comic books before you you know made your first career leaps in those directions. What what started it for you? I mean, like going back to my young creative self, or just really in terms of entering the business, entering the business, entering the okay, business, yeah. entering the business. You know, and it's true in any business is just a process. I always say I teach a writing class called Imagination One One. I do it with regular irregularity. Um, and I, I say to my st- students, you need two things. You need a strong will and a hard head. You need a strong will because you have to believe in yourself in a way that nobody else on the planet will ever, ever believe in you. Because when you start out, you are nobody with nothing. You have no resume, you have nothing. And you need a hard head because even when you're successful, 40, 50% of what's going on in your career is rejection. It just is. It's yep. just the way it goes as a freelancer. You know, I'm forever coming up with new projects and new ideas. And and I may have to, to send that out into the world 10 times, 20 times over a year. Over, I've had projects that I've had to, to work on over the course of literally 20 or 25 years before I sold them. So there was a lot of rejection along the way before I got to that 25th year, you know. <laughs> so you really, <clears throat> you really need a hard head and you need a strong will. Uh, you know, I always think about uh, there's a comic book character uh, called Green Lantern. And he's got this power ring and it's fueled by will and imagination. And I've always said that that's not just the key to Green Lantern. That's the key to life, especially the creative (laughs) life. You know, you harness your will to your imagination and you channel it 
you know, you channel that imagination through that will and through that ring and you manifest things. And that's, you know, that's what Green Lantern does. He manifests things with his ring and you have to manifest things in the world just using your imagination and your will. And that's what I did. I just kept, you know, writing and banging my head against the wall. And, you know, if you're lucky, you run into somebody along the way who might, you know, uh, give you a chance and you just keep doing it until someone finally buys the damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, a lot of people, I always tell the story of, um, you know, the first thing I ever sold, I always say it's good. You have to start at the bottom. And truly I did. Marvel had a mad magazine knockoff called crazy magazine. And I happened to know a guy who worked in the production department at Marvel. We had gone to college together and he was selling them some stuff. And he was like, hey, you should sell them stuff too. And I'm like, I don't understand. I don't, I don't, it's not what I do, you know? But I, I wrote up a few things, I send it in uh, and he passed it along to the editor and this editor bought this script, you know, for this silly little thing for Crazy Magazine. But, you know, the great thing about that was that they bought it. I got a check with Spider-Man's face on it. Um, and that was amazing. And, and around the same time, and I was hoping that would open the door to comics for me, but it didn't. It was just opened the door to that magazine for a couple of sales and went away. And that was that. But around the same time, I was also doing rock and roll journalism. So I was writing a lot, not getting paid very much, but my words were in print. You know what I mean? And I was being yeah. asked, you know, review this record, go see this concert, interview this person, you know? So there's craft. You don't realize it, but just every time you say yes, and that's one of the things I've learned over the years, unless it's something that's morally reprehensible, which is rarely going to come up, say yes, you're going to learn something, you know? Yeah. Um, don't be like, don't, especially in, when you're in the beginning of your career, don't think you're above it, you know, because you're not. You're <laughs> always going to learn something. Uh, and so finally, you know, uh, so I'm doing rock and roll journalism and I want to get into comics. And I just, you know, had several submissions to D.C. And finally, someone said to me, they wrote back and said, well, you know, this editor, Paul Levitz, is buying material for what they called the D.C. anthology books, which were basically they weren't allowed to say horror in those days. But they were horror slash supernatural comics with little sort of six or eight page Twilight Zone kind of stories with twist endings. I had never read these comics in my life. (laughs) I didn't know they existed, but I ran out and I bought a batch of them. And I sent in uh, some ideas uh, to Paul Evitz, who, when I finally met him, turned out he was even younger than I was. He could barely grow a mustache. And he'd been working in in comics since he was in high school. Uh, Amazing, amazing, brilliant guy. And I, I still have the letter that Paul sent me back where basically shredded my stories, criticized my typing, rightfully so, because this was in the days of typewriters. And I'm like typing up the side of the paper with arrows pointing to the center, all that stuff. And, you know, someone else, and this is where Will and a hard head comes in. Someone else would have seen that. He tore apart my stories. He even hates my typing, would have gone and crawled under the desk and never come out again and given up. And I've seen that happen with people in various disciplines. You know, the first sign of rejection, even really talented people, they run away. But at the bottom of that letter, Paul said, please feel free to submit again which I give him all the credit in the world. Why he said that, I don't know, you know, but so I I submitted and I said, you read that as the challenge. And that's all really from, if if it was a cartoon and I was holding that paper, you know, in the little tiny letters would be the whole, the whole thing that he wrote criticizing my stories and in giant blazing letters would be, please feel free to submit again. That's all I saw. Right. And eventually, you know, I went up to DC comics and I sat down with Paul. I pitched him some ideas and uh, he bought one. And then the next thing you know, it's like four decades later and here I sit and yeah. that's, that's opened up doors into, you know, writing books, writing television, writing film, doing all this stuff just because I had a passion, which is why I always say it's the oldest cliche in the world. Follow your passion. And to which I add, you, it may not lead you where you expect to go, 
don't be attached to that part, but it will always lead. If you really follow it, it will lead you someplace good. It'll take you somewhere. Yeah. And, and I've had it lead me to unexpected places. I have a whole career writing for animation that I had no interest in kind of fell into it backwards. It just happened because I was following the path and it kind of led me to this door and I discovered that I really loved it and it loved me, thank God, in return. <laughs> and, you know, for whatever it is, almost 20 years, I've been doing that. And it became a whole other branch of my, there is that word again, career. Right. So, yeah. So, so what do things look like for you today then? As we fast forward into now, you've, you've made inroads in multiple different mediums and um, right. constant a freelancer in a lot of different directions, working on your own projects, creator-owned material. Um, what does a day look? And I know every day maybe is a little bit different, but maybe give us the amalgam. What does a week, week's worth of days look like? For I'll just, a, a day uh, looks like me doing everything I possibly can to not work. You know, I always liken the process to, you know, when you watch a dog, when, when they're going to lay down and they walk in circles for a while, and then they go, and that's my process. I have to walk in circles around it. Sometimes I'm afraid of it. You know, the great thing and the horrible thing about what, what we do as creative people is every time you write a new story, it's a new story. It's a blank page. You know, you may have all the craft in the world, but if you don't have the inspiration, the idea someplace to go. So it's every time is like the first time. It's the, the, the Chinese idea of a beginner's mind. You know, you have to have a beginner's mind because you're beginning every single time. That's the glorious ecstatic part of what I do and also the terrifying part of what I do because it's always the first time. And yes, at least I have the ability to put pipe together. So if I'm desperate, I'll throw some pipe together. But, you know, it's, it's still, you know, it's like, okay, I've built a hundred buildings, but here's a big empty lot. And today I have to build a new one. And not only that, I'm the architect. I have to design the building and then build it. Yeah. But that's a good one because I never thought about that. It's almost like the inspiration is the design for the building. Right. And the craft is the construction. Lay in the bricks. Oh, I'm going to keep that one. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you keep, um, I mean, every ride is a little bit different. Do you keep word counts? Do you keep daily goals, uh, weekly goals? I mean, no. other than deadlines, other than the requirements of deadlines. No, I don't. I really don't. It's just, it's, you know, deadlines are a great motivator. Uh, paying the mortgage is a fantastic a motivator. motivator. <laughs> the combination of deadlines and paying the mortgage is a great motivator. And then, you know, the other great motivators is what we've, motivator is what we've been talking about, that, that burst of inspiration that's so intense that you cannot not do it. You have to do it. You have to get this idea out of your head. So uh, all those things combine. Uh, but yeah, but the other, the other, you know, getting back to craft, uh, you know, the other thing, if you have a career, you, you know, you have to be able to deliver. It doesn't matter how much inspiration you have or if you're the most brilliant writer on the face of the earth. If you can't deliver the work and deliver it on time, especially if you're working, say, comics, it's, you know, it's periodicals. These things come out every month or TV. We need the script by then because this has to go to the to the people that are designing it and to the directors and to we have voice actors waiting. We have all these things. So you have to be able to deliver. You have to meet a deadline. You can't just say, I'm going to take my time with my beautiful painting and I'll spend six years on it, which there's a part of me that would love to do that. But I think if I was really, really free to do that, I might spend the next six years working on two sentences. Right. You know, well, perfect sentences they would perfect. <laughs> uh, but the great thing about a deadline, you know, that process that we talked about with the unconscious you know, it, it opens up, you follow it, you, 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 you get that down and then you, you craft it. Well, that could take, that might take a certain amount of time, but when I see when you have a deadline, that whole process just gets speeded up. 
the unconscious goes, oh, deadline. All right, we better we better work a little bit harder here. You know, right. if this has to be in tomorrow, then I'm going to get that process. It might take two weeks. That's going to happen all tonight. Yeah. You know, then that's a fascinating thing to me uh, that, you know, it, it it changes time with the need of the moment. And do you consider yourself a, a first draft writer or it's all about what happens you know, past that first flush? You know, in the in the age of, of of writing on computers, I don't even know what a first draft is anymore because <laughs> right. you know you, you turn in your first draft of something, but you've rewritten that 150 times. I mean, I remember when I would sit with a typewriter and every time I wanted to change that page, either you, you put in that little strip of white stuff, I forget what the, you know, with yeah, yeah. to type over or you know, white out, or you had to roll it out and retype the whole page, and you do that five times or sometimes maybe ten times for every page. But when you're writing on a computer, you know, each page, I might have rewritten that a hundred times without consciously feeling like I'm rewriting, you know? Sure. And that's working on the computer, it's like it pulls away one more door between your unconscious and the finished work because it just flows more. You're not sitting there, you know, oh God, I have to retype this sentence, I have to do this, I have to do that. Just those actions of pulling that paper out, I never really thought about that before. Having to roll it back in again could be slowing down that whole unconscious process. And by the time you get the paper back in, it's like, well, what was I going to say? <laughs> you know, whereas right now it's like, Bip, that sentence is gone. Here's the next one. Mm -hmm. You know, so same, it, same draft. <laughs> it's all about, if, you know, to use the old cliche, it's all about going with the flow, you know, opening that door and letting it flow and following that flow. And what I found, I was talking to my wife about this recently. It feels like I may write less in a day than I used to, but it flows more that what comes out is like is is less of me and more of that thing, that that ineffable thing from my unconscious. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Where did that come from? I'm working on. And, and then, you know, you put it aside for a little while and you go back and you read it. And, uh, and I'm astonished that it, a that it makes sense and b that it's any good. Uh, I, I'm working on this novella now. And, and I wrote a bunch of it a few weeks ago, but I had to move on and work on some other stuff. And I took it out the, the, the other day because I have to wrap it up in the next couple of weeks. And I read this stuff that even though I wrote it maybe three weeks ago, I'd completely forgotten about, you know, which is, oh, which is great. I love that because it's, it's like the shoemaker and the elves, you know, it's right. like I was off someplace else and somebody snuck into my office and got magic happened and wrote this. And I'm like, so gratified that it's good and it makes sense. And, you know, it's like, who wrote this, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I love that because, because the more we get out of the way, and again, I, I really look at write, writing as a spiritual practice, just as in spiritual practice, you know, you want to get yourself out of the way so that cosmic divine thing, whatever you choose to call it, can come through. In writing, you have to do the same thing. The more you get yourself out of the way, the more it comes through, the less of you is in there, even though paradoxically, at the same time, it's nothing but you. You know, I always imagine, you know, there, there's a great realm of story out there. Stories exist. They're all out there in the ether and the story's floating around looking for the right person to tell it. Yeah. And then it may land. Oh, maybe Derek. Hmm, hmm, I don't think it quite. Not this time. Over here. <laughs> right. You know, there's another story heading for you. Keep your eyes open. Right. You know? And then the story decides to pick me. But once it picks me, we, you know, we all have these filters. I always imagine like the colored stage lights, you know, so you might have a blue filter. I might have a red filter. And that filter is our personal identity. So as that story comes through us, we are going to fill it with, with that, which we are, with our obsessions, with the things that, that we love and that we hate and that we, we, we wonder about and care about. So the story exists out there, but once it comes through us, it becomes profoundly personal and it has to be profoundly personal, no matter what you do. You know, I've done autobiographical 
uh, graphic novels and, and I've written Spider-Man stories that were just as personal as the autobiographical work. So to, to, to pull this into industry, right? Okay. Tell us a story that gives a better sense of how, how such a creative impassioned sort of process has to work within the confines of the professionalism getting paid. It's, 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 there's a, there's a, there's a a Barker sense to it. Right. Um, so give us a story from your own experience. Well, I'll, I'll say two things about that. One is, you know, you talk about the Barker thing. And I always say that freelance, freelance writing is like tap dancing on quicksand. Yeah. You have to tap dance really good so that the, all the editors that are standing on the other side of the swamp go, Oh, look at him dancing on the quicksand. He's really, really good. You have to tap dance really fast because if you don't, you will sink. And what I've seen over the years is it's very easy to sink. You could have the greatest couple of years in the world. And then all of a sudden the worst, they will be followed by the worst two years you've ever had. And the horrible part of it is there's never any rhyme or reason to it. No matter how much I've tried to figure, Oh, this happened because of this or that, or the other thing. And then you're in the middle of this like drought in the desert and you're watching, you know, your savings account dwindle. And then all of a sudden, just as mysteriously, everybody in the world wants to work with you again. And you have no idea why. So that's one thing. That's where the hard head and the fierce will come in, you know, especially the hard head. You have to learn to tap dance on quicksand. And that's, I guess that's a metaphor for the, for the industry. But, you know, in terms of a story, rather than a story, it's a general note about probably all freelancing, but I've seen it. I've seen it, especially in comics. Because in comics, as I mentioned earlier, people that get into comics get into it because they love these worlds, they love these characters, they love the companies, they identify with, I'm a Marvel person, I'm a DC person, you know, I'm a Marvel and DC person, but I'm not a Dark Horse person, whatever it may be, you know? And what I learned very quickly uh, is that it's the stupidest thing you could ever do. Not a stupid thing to do as a fan, but as a professional, it is the stupidest thing you could ever do for two reasons. One is, so say I grew up reading Marvel comics and I had this vision and, you know, when I was a kid in the sixties of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and the Marvel bullpen, but then I was reading comics in the seventies. It was a whole different Marvel bullpen. And then by the time I got there in the eighties, it was a totally different company run by totally different people with different people working there. So whatever you're imagining in your head doesn't exist. And then, um, what you discover is, you know, so you start out and you go, oh, I love it. I'm working for DC Comics. I'm working for Marvel Comics, this thing that meant so much to me as a kid. And it seems really great until you realize that it's just a business like everything else. And that maybe on Monday, the editor in chief loves you and thinks you're the greatest thing to ever walk through his door. And Wednesday, he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and reads something new yours and he doesn't like it. And he picks you up by the pants and throws you out the window. <laughs> now I, I telescope that down, but I've had, I've had those experiences at different companies. I'm not singling out Marvel or DC, but I've seen it happen again and again over the years. You know, it's like, then I got thrown out and then something, the company changes again. And I come back. I was talking to somebody recently. I said, the company becomes like this Lovecraftian thing, you know, especially companies like Marvel and DC that all these people are contributing to over decades. And, you know, even the, even the people that work on staff are deluded that way because they think, I work for Marvel or DC or whatever. And here I am and I'm identified with this place. And at some point the, the, the beast is going to throw them off too. You know what I mean? So what I learned, oh, this is a long way of saying what I learned early on is never be loyal to a company. You can appreciate that company, but be loyal to the people that you work with in comics, be loyal to your editor, be loyal to your artists, you know, or, you know, be loyal to the producers that you work with. And I was just thinking this morning, maybe in anticipation of this conversation, it's like, no one, no one, you know, thinks 
I'm a, I'm a novelist and I can't wait to be published by Simon and Schuster because all my favorite books are only published by Simon. No, you write a novel and you're just praying someone will publish it and you will kiss whoever it is, you know, but it's a really different thing in comics because people are like, I want to grow up and work for Marvel comics or DC comics or whatever it is. And there's this identification with the publisher, but the publisher is this entity that is constantly changing and and really has nothing to do with you. Now I love you know I am loyal to and have great relationships and store try to have them with the people that I work with. You know, I'm mm-hmm. working for both those companies right now, um, and I'm working with really really good people, both the other freelancers and the editors that I'm working with. But I've seen it happen too many times. Like I said, Monday you're busy as could be. So much you have so much work that you have to turn down half the work they're offering you, and a week goes by, and you're like, is there any work? <laughs> Because somebody, somebody somewhere up the food chain decided, mm, I don't like him anymore. Whatever. You, 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 half the time, you never know. I've seen it happen, you know, writing for TV, too, where I, I am convinced this particular producer just hates me. Like, why? Why won't he give? You know, I thought we had a nice relationship and a year and a half has gone by and there's no work. And then all of a sudden the phone rings and it's that producer. And it turns out he's your biggest fan and you have no idea what he's been doing or what's taken his time or what projects have taken him away. So as a freelancer, you know, you're home projecting all these dramas out into the world and you have really no idea what's going on behind the scenes, except for those times when you actually hear somebody, you know, so and so said they don't want to work with you anymore. They think this or that. But most of the time, even, you know, it's a big mystery. You don't know. You don't know. That is a great peek behind the curtain, J.M. I, I appreciate that. Um, and it, it, it general, but actually quite specific, too, in terms of talking about actual relationships that build in those directions and how yeah. expectations yeah. can be misfit. Um, so, it's a crazy so- thing to do for a living. You know, <laughs> I sometimes go, how have I done this all these years? Because it does on some days it takes it takes its toll on your nervous system. Yeah. And other days it is just the greatest gig in the universe. And there are more days of that when and I'll just finish up with this one thought, whenever I need to remind myself, because everything can become work at some point, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're Superman, there was some days it feels like, oh, God, I got to put on this costume and fly around and save the world again. You know, it's all work. <laughs> and then I, I, I take my, my mind and I go back in time and I find myself when I'm about 10 years old and I tell my 10 year old self what I do for a living. And he faints from ecstasy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. You know, this is really pretty cool. I, I'm very blessed that I've gotten to do this and I continue to do this after all these years. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I actually think that's the, the perfect punctuation for us to close out this first part of our conversation. Um, thank you. It's been such a pleasure to introduce some of these topics. We'll be coming back around and we'll be talking a little bit more, uncovering some more advice from JM, as well as building from some of the things that have already been introduced. Uh, thank you so much again for participating. You are welcome, Derek. And as always, don't be afraid to use the word career, but always stay crafty. Stay crafty.